let me uh, let me just kind of remind you. Remember, we're, lo- we're looking at a letter where the writer of Hebrews is writing, basically, to Hebrew Christians who are thinking about giving up their faith, turning their back on Jesus, and going back to the Mosaic system, going back to the law, going back to being a good Jew, because of probably the persecution that they're facing uh, from others who are Jewish like them. And so, uh, so the basic whole point of the whole book of Hebrews is to talk about the sufficiency of Jesus. And so what we've been looking at here is, the issue of how superior Jesus is to the Mosaic system, and in particular, the priesthood of Jesus is being more superior to uh, the, the priesthood of Aaron. Now, what you're going to see is, again, he's going to talk about Melchizedek, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, there are some folks who say that Melchizedek is Christ. That is a viewpoint. I don't know that the text tells us that because the text doesn't say that. He says he's like unto Melchizedek. Okay? I would say that Melchizedek is a type of Christ, not Jesus himself. Okay? And I've told you other reasons why in various lessons, so we don't need to go through that. But we're going to look today at verses 11 through 28 and talk about a superior priesthood. A superior priesthood. So let's look. We're going to look at verses 11 through 19. First of all, we're going to talk about a new priesthood versus the old priesthood, which is the Levitical system. So let's look at verses. Uh, we're going to look at verses 11 through 19. First of all, so if you have your Bibles, read along with me. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should? should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet even more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of the endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand... There is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Okay, so let's take a look at this. First of all, we're going to see the need. He's going to begin verse 11 with a question. And his question is very good. I mean, he said, if perfection which is what the Jews were saying, if perfection were found in the Mosaic system, why do we need another priest? So this would be a natural response from the Jewish audience that he's speaking to. It's like we know the Jewish system, the law is perfect. Why do we need another priest? God already set it up. Okay? Why do we need another priest? So he's going to try to answer his question here. 
The other priest is of the order of Melchizedek and not of Aaron. Okay, so that's what he's saying there. This other priest is of the order of Melchizedek and not of Aaron. So he's going to go on now in verse 12 and tell us that there's a change of the system. There's a change of the system. What do you mean by that? Well, it was necessary to change the priesthood, which in turn changed the law. It was necessary to change the priesthood because the law changed. And when I say the law changed, I would say the law was fulfilled. Now, who was it fulfilled through? How was the law fulfilled? Through Christ and through His sacrifice on the cross for us. And so, therefore, the whole system had to change. So there was a need for another priest now, another priesthood. So then, he says, the entire system has changed with Jesus Christ as the new high priest. The entire system changed with Jesus Christ as the new high priest. Now let me just stop for a moment. You and I need to be thankful that the entire system changed. Anybody got a clue why? Yeah, you and I are Gentiles. We had no part in the old system. We had no part in the promises. We had no part in anything. In fact, our only part was, according to the Jews, was what? Hell. Condemnation. Because they were the chosen ones. Okay? So, the reality is, is that with Jesus, the whole system changes, and in the, with the whole new system, He includes who? You and I, as Gentiles. Okay? I mean, that's where Paul talks about that the wild olive branches, that's the Gentiles, were what? Grafted into the root. We were grafted in. We were included in. Okay? We were brought near through, to Christ because of His sacrifice. So then he goes on and he's going to talk about the tribe of this new high priest who is Jesus, okay? The tribe of origin. This new high priest comes from another tribe that never served at the altar. So they're going to understand that the the tribe that served at the altar in the Old Testament system was what? The tribe of Levi. And in particular, the priesthood came from a certain individual and his, his offspring, which was who? Aaron, okay, they were the only ones who could be priest. But he's saying now that the writer of Hebrews is telling us that this new priest, which is Jesus, comes from another tribe, okay, comes from another tribe that never served at the altar. And our Lord Jesus Christ arose from the tribe of who? Judah, okay? Our Lord Jesus Christ arose from the tribe of Judah, And he's going to make a point here that Moses, who is the lawgiver, never spoke of Judah in relationship to the priesthood. So if you go reading through through the first five books, especially uh, if you go reading through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you go reading through the rest of the Old Testament, you will never see any mention of Judah with reference to what? The priesthood. Never. It's not in the Old Testament at all. You're not going to find that at all. So that's the point the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is making here. So then, he's going to talk about a new priest that arises now. There's going to be a new priest that arises that we need to see. 
This is evident if the priest, like Melchizedek, appears. So this is going to be evident if a priest, and notice, notice the language. Okay, this is why I say we can't say that he is Melchizedek. Let's go to verse 13. For he of whom these things was spoken of belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Uh, oh, excuse me, verse 15. And, and it is yet far evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest. The priest arising is like Jesus in the likeness of Melchizedek. We've already discussed the whole point of Melchizedek last week when we looked at the first seven, first two weeks ago when we looked at the first ten verses. So it's evident if a priest like Melchizedek appears. This priest has not come because of the law, but rather because of the power of eternal life. Alright, so what's he saying here? Alright? Does everybody understand the Mosaic system had a priesthood that began because God instituted through the law? Do you understand? It was because of the law and the demands of the law, that there needed to be a priesthood. So therefore, there was the priesthood of who? Aaron. Okay? And the human priest. Now, he's saying, this priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus, does not come about because of law. It's not coming about because of law. It's coming about because of what? Because of eternal life. Okay? Because of salvation and the power of eternal life. It's coming about because of that. Okay? So this priest does not come because of the law, but because of eternal life. So the Lord declares Jesus to be a priest forever according to what? The order of Melchizedek. This priest declares Jesus to be a priest forever according to this new priesthood of, this priesthood of Melchizedek. Okay? So let's go on now. Look now at the better hope. We see that in verses 18 through 19. The former commandment was set aside because it was weak and useless. Before anybody begins to get the idea that we need to, because you'll talk to people and they'll say, Oh, I, I obey the Ten Commandments. Ever talk to somebody who said they obey the Ten Commandments? You know? I, I, occasionally I'll meet somebody and I'll share with them about the gospel and they'll say, well, I, I follow the Ten Commandments. Really? Really? I mean, there's something in there. I mean, you don't covet? You don't walk through Walmart and want something? Do you know what I'm saying? Or, or you don't see somebody driving by with a new rig, a new truck, and you're like, wow, wish I had... You don't covet? Do you understand? You don't struggle in that area? You know, it's, it's, well, I have no other gods before me. Really? It's not hunting season yet. Do you know what I mean? And, and you're not worshiping, you know, the, the big buck. And all your focus is on that. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? What the law did is it, it proved, it showed, according to Paul, what? Our, what? Sinfulness and our need. But it was weak. Remember, go, I'll go way back. Go way back to the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts. And remember, they were discussing the issue of whether or not the Gentiles needed to follow the law. 
and specifically whether the Gentile males needed to be circumcised and follow the law. And Peter stood up in the midst of the argument and says, why are we wanting to lay a burden onto these that we ourselves could not, what? Keep. The Jews themselves couldn't keep it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Jews themselves couldn't keep it. So the former commandment was set aside because it was weak and useless. This is what the the writer of Hebrews is saying. Now that doesn't mean that the moral imperatives of the law are meaningless and you don't need to abide by them. No. They're, they're, They're reiterated throughout the scripture. But being being conformed to uh, the Old Testament way of doing things, the Old Testament law, is not going to gain you anything. You're like, I meet Christians all the time, and they'll be like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Old Testament diet. What's that? I'm on the Old Testament. I'm eating the Levitical stuff, the kosher food. Where does it tell you to do that? In fact, I can take them to the New Testament. It tells you not to eat that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Not to be ruled by don't eat this and don't don't eat that and so forth. And so the old system was done away with. It was weak, he's saying here. Let's go on. The law did not make anything perfect. This is what the writer of Hebrews is stressing here, and I think we need to grasp that. Does everybody understand that? The law does not make anyone perfect. So let me ask you a question. Well, what does? Yeah, the blood of Christ. His sacrifice. Not anything you could do to attain it. Do you you understand what I'm saying? You can't be good enough. You can't be too bad enough. The the reality is is that the law couldn't make anyone perfect. None at all. Only Jesus can. And and think about this. He's He's talking to a group of Jews here who are thinking about, you know, man, maybe we should go back to the system. Maybe Jesus isn't sufficient enough. And he's trying to tell them, why are you wanting to go back to an old system that was useless and meaningless, and it could not perfect you? The only one who can perfect you is who? Jesus. Jesus. That's the reality here. Jesus is the one. The law doesn't make you perfect. Okay? The law doesn't make you perfect. It is through the better hope, which is Jesus, that we can draw near to God. Now that's the point. Look at, look, look at what he says there. I, li- I like the way he says it, verse 19. The law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope, which we draw near to God. Through which we draw near to God. What is the bringing of the better hope? The bringing of the better hope is Jesus, folks. And it is through Jesus, who is our better hope, that you and I are brought near to who? To to God. To God the Father. It's because of Jesus that I'm able to approach Him. It is not because I'm keeping the laws. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not impressed with any of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many times when you read through the Old Testament prophets... And he says, you know, your offerings, your burnt offerings, your whole burnt offerings, you know, and all of these things, that the fat of bulls and, and the lambs and, and all of that mean nothing to me because your heart is far from me. Religious 
exercise without having a heart is meaningless. That doesn't bring you near to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't bring you near to God at all. What brings us near to God is our hope. Who's our hope? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is our hope. That what, that's what draws us near to God. That's what he's saying here. Okay? So then look now, we're going to look at the last part here, verses 20 to 28, and we're going to see Jesus as our priest. Okay? Jesus as our priest. Look with what it says here. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and does not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there are many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is wholly harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people, for he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. So we're going to see how, how Jesus is a better priest here. First of all, by an oath. First thing he's going to point out to us in verse 20 is this, is that the Levitical priests, the sons of Aaron, became priests without an oath. They didn't take an oath. There was no special ritual that made them a priest to serve. You know how they became priests? Everybody know how they became priests? They were born into the family. So, I mean, they were just, boom, they were taught, from the beginning, they were taught how to serve in the temple. Period. And they knew that one of them, as soon as daddy died, whoever the high priest was, his firstborn son would then become the what? Next high priest. And the rest of them would serve in a priestly fashion. So it wasn't by an oath, it was simply by a birthright. Okay? By a birthright. Now, here's what he's saying. The Lord, that is, God the Father, has sworn an oath concerning Jesus becoming a priest forever. Now, this new priesthood is completely different because it was instituted by an oath from God. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It was instituted by an oath from God in which he makes Jesus, what? The high priest for what? Forever is what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's the high priest forever. So because of this oath, oath, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant or salvation. A better covenant here means salvation. So he is the guarantee of a better way for you and I to attain salvation through him. Did you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you think about the old system. You think about the old system. If you were Jewish, because as Gentiles, we had no part in it. 
you and I had to constantly make what? Sacrifices. How many of you have gone, gone a week without sinning? Or make it a week without sinning? How many, how many of you have gone a day without sinning? Nobody. I mean, you can't go an hour. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. So you go make your sacrifice at the temple. Then you leave. Somebody's camel cuts you off. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're not, you're not happy. Sin was a part of their life. And, and, and then, listen, they only made sacrifices for what? Certain sins. There were certain sins that were not covered. How'd you like that? But then there's us who are Gentiles. We had no part in it, period. So because of the oath, Jesus becomes a guarantee of a better covenant. A new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul tells us when he talks about the Lord's table. A better salvation. He goes on, the old priesthood was limited by death, so there was many, many priests. When you read through, starting with Aaron, and you read your way through the Old Testament, and you see mentions of priests, you're going to see that they continually change. Why? Because somebody dies. They were human. They didn't live forever. Somebody dies. So the old priesthood was limited. So you might have a good priest, might be a good high priest one time, but the next high priest might be a scoundrel, and we see record of that as well. Alright, so then, Jesus' priesthood lasts forever because he what? Lives forever. That should excite you. I'll tell you why here in a moment. Because the writer tells us. Jesus' priesthood, his high priesthood, because he's our high priest, lasts forever because he lives forever. So then he goes on and he talks about the function of the priest. Now here's what he does as the high priest for you and I. As high priest, he is able to completely save those who come to God through him. Some of you, take a look at that verse in your Bible. It's your Bible, not the Pew Bible. Look at verse 25. Some of you mark a star by that if you don't mind writing in your Bible. Because he is able to save to the uttermost. That means completely. Those who come to God through him. So he's able to bring complete salvation to you and I if we put our faith and trust in him, if we make a commitment to follow him. He's able to save you. Well, you don't know about this in my life. I don't need to. You don't know what I did over here. I don't need to. You don't know how I messed up. I don't need to. That has nothing to do with whether or not you receive salvation. The point is, is do you put your faith and trust in what he's done for you on the cross and bringing you salvation? Does everybody understand? And when he saves you, he didn't save you half. He didn't save all of you but that one little part. He saves all of you. He redeems all of you. He cleanses all of you. He removes the shame and the guilt, all of it. He saves to the uttermost completely. Let's go on. Let's look at another point. He lives to make intercession for believers. Now, that's, that's, you, some of you got to hear that one. 
the writer of Hebrews is saying here, we know that he sits on the right hand of the Father, that he makes intercession for us, that he lives to intercede for you. Some of you have got this concept like, man, does he really care about me? I've messed up one too many times. Does he really have, does he really think about me? Hey, he's living to pray for you. Aren't you glad? First of all, let me just stop for a moment. To me, it's a powerful thing to know that somebody's praying for me. I told you before, every once in a while I'll get a call from somebody from across the country and say, hey, I just was thinking about you and I'm praying about you. That's a powerful thing to me. To hear somebody say they're praying for you. You know what's even more powerful? To know that Jesus prays for me. Now, we don't even think that way, do we? That just flows over our mind. We don't even consider that. Some of you maybe never even heard that. But here the writer of Hebrews, look at how he says it. I mean, he can't say it any better than how he says it. Look at verse 25. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is always living to what? Make intercession for who? Who's them? You folks. Me. The reality is, is that Jesus is interceding for you and I. Continually. Is that not awesome? Is that not great to think about? When you're going through your struggles, I mean, the, one of the things that we struggle with the mo- most, especially is, is when, when times are dark, is that we feel so alone. And does anybody care? You know what I'm talking about? Do you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Okay? Alright. Folks, somebody does care. Because somebody's praying for you. It's Jesus. He lives for intercession for you. Let's go on here. He, he, he is a fitting high priest here. The next thing I want you to see, he's a fitting high priest since he, for our needs, he's the fitting high priest for our needs since he was holy and exalted. He's perfect. Think about, think about the priests of Aaron. I told you some of them were they weren't good, okay? But they were what? The writer tells us they were human. They, they had weaknesses. So did they sin? Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is read through the first few books of the Old Testament. You'll see some of them are struck dead for offering strange fire. I mean, just killed. Aaron's sons are killed because they profane worship in the temple. Do you know what I'm saying? God takes that seriously. They were human. But he's a fitting high priest for our needs because he's holy and exalted. He's perfect. He didn't sin. He's never sinned. He goes on. Unlike the Levitical priests, he did not need to offer daily sacrifices for sins. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. The temple, temple courts were probably a very bloody place. Why, George? Why were they bloody? Because you think about it, the number of animals that had to be sacrificed, and it was continual. Every day. Lambs. Goats. 
bulls being sacrificed continually, burning flesh in the air. Do you understand what I'm saying? As, the, as they are being burnt on the altar and consumed on the altar. Continually. He's not like that. He doesn't have to make a daily sacrifice for us. Why? He died once and for all for our sins as he offered himself as the sacrifice. Jesus Christ died once and for all for our sins as he offered himself as the sacrifice. His sacrifice took care of all of your sins. Past, present, and future. Did you understand what I'm saying? You mean even my future ones? Folks, when he died on the cross, you weren't even here yet. All of your sins were yet in the future. Did you understand what I'm saying? He completely takes care of it all. The Mosaic Law, the writer points out here, the Mosaic Law appointed weak men as high priests. The Mosaic Law, the system of Aaron, the Levitical Law, appointed weak men as high priests. But here's what I want you to see. The oath of God appointed a perfected high priest forever. This is why Jesus is superior. This is why Jesus is superior. Now, Next week we're going to we're going to cruise on to chapter eight as we continue our discussion here. As he's going to talk about the whole point of Jesus being our high priest and what that means for us. 